Hi, this is Michelle Lassen with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together. Today, I'm pleased to have Vanessa Kuto on our show. Vanessa uses many modalities to help her clients better tell their stories. First and foremost, she weaves astrology, mythology, and depth psychology in her consultations. She helps clients deepen their brands, connecting their sole purpose with their business. Vanessa also works with her husband, Jason's story, where together they bring brand archetypes to help their clients align and envision their brand from a solid foundation. She has two masters of art, one in education from New York University and one in counseling psychology from Pacifica Graduate Institute. Welcome, Vanessa. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying yes. <laughs> I do love a podcast, so I'm... <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I'm a big fan. And then it was an easy yes then. <laughs> yeah. So Vanessa and I met at what I like to call my monthly woo-woo meetings. <laughs> we met with other practitioners of healing and uh, as Marie Bento said earlier in our show, the healing and mystical arts. So we chat about business and all sorts of things. Uh, and you said you've been doing this type of work about six years. And I'm curious, how did you get called into it? I got called into it. I mean, astrology has a muse. Her name is Urania. And I like to say that she got me when I was in elementary school. Because I remember being in, you know, recess and asking my friends, hey, what's your sun sign? And I don't know how that came about because no one in my family is into astrology, um, you know, or does astrology like this. And so throughout my teens and early 20s, I was constantly reading astrology. But it was really my mid-20s that I decided to go have a, a reading. And really, and then I think soon after that, I started studying it, like really sort of like with a teacher, not just on my own. Oh, nice. And so I really I've been devoted when I think this is more of a devotion. I'm devoted to astrology for over 20 years. If I consider when I actually started studying it. But I, I was in my closet, you know. I mean, my friends knew I did it. My friends knew I was interested. I might do readings for friends and such. But I wasn't, you know, out there in the public talking about it. Mm -hmm. And so it was back in 2014, I believe, that I, I just, I, I've been wanting to do my own business for a while, and uh, I wanted to leave corporate. I was tired, and uh, I decided to do Marie Forleo's B School. Mm. And at the time, I did it because I wanted to do my my art business. Because originally, I actually had. Um, a website called Art by Nessa, and I was doing my drawings and illustration and greeting cards. And I thought, oh, this is what I'll do. I'll take this course for that. But in the midst of all that, I uh, got, I was like, people were, you know, I met a lot of people through the, the course. And they were like, why are you not doing the astrology? And I thought, really, that's something. It's like I held so close that I was like, okay, I guess this is the, the spoke of the wheel that was missing. I wanted to bring in this whole time, I was like, how do I bring in all my sort of jack of all trades into one place? Yeah. And so then I thought, oh, okay. So I shifted and I thought I will launch the astrology and I'll put the art with it, you know, sort of this mixed bag. And so that's how I, I would say I officially came out of the, the mystical closet in that sense, you know, with the business. 
That's so awesome. But it took me a while, you know, to just, not that I was, if you will, ashamed of it or anything like that. I just didn't think the environment I was in, especially with work, I used to work in law firms, you know, they're pretty strict. Mm-hmm. Um, fed, you know, f- felt like how they, they could mesh. Yeah. Um, but I've been at it for a long time, studying and just so long, you know, been immersed in it that it's kind of a, a second language to me. Well, probably my third language because English is my second. <laughs> <laughs> um, you shared that you have a mission and so I'm going to read it because you were kind <laughs> enough to provide it. Your mission is to help folks align their gifts, their purpose with their livelihood through their business. Your passion is to help folks find ways to express their gifts so that they can help the world and make a livelihood from from those gifts too. Mm -hmm. So before I talk too much about that, I'm really curious, like if you could, so you do this work, helping individuals become Mm -hmm. aligned with their gifts and their livelihoods. So forecast like, I don't know, five, 10, 50 years in the future and share with me a vision you might have for our wider world. That we would, uh, that we wouldn't force people to do work because of necessity. They have to do the job mm-hmm. that they, people early on, they would know parents would notice or teachers would notice what is the kid's natural talents what are the natural tendencies instead of trying to put them in a different box they would Mm -hmm. no 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 their little johnny seems artistic let's give all the resources so little johnny really expresses his art and that they would naturally you know be there would be opportunities for the person to go do the thing that they enjoy Oh my gosh, I love that so much. Because I feel, in my sort of my wildest dreams, I think if we were all doing the work we're here to do that we enjoy, actually, I think we would have world peace. Because I think mm-hmm. most of these people up in, in sort of power positions, they're actually just dissatisfied, you know? Yeah. I mean, we know Hitler was like a dissatisfied artist. Imagine if he had been accepted at that art school, you know? Oh my gosh, yes, that, yes. That's the most extreme case, but... um. I do think that I really get very, it jerks my chain when I see parents uh, see, I don't, I mean, I can say that I, I don't have children, but I was the recipient of that kind of philosophy of like, you'd see the kids talents, but you're like, no, 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 that is not rational. You mm-hmm. need to get, go get a job, make a living and maybe later you can do the mm-hmm. thing you want to do or parents who straight up, put their kids in a box and all little Johnny's going to be a dentist because that's what mm-hmm. our family does. And little Johnny's really has the soul of a poet, but forget that, you know, mm-hmm. that really jerks my chain when I see that. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I love that. Uh, I was just talking to my friend, Jeff and your podcast will air a little bit apart. So I'll include his in there. And he, he didn't feel a tug at his soul when he was in high school and did the, got the job, you know, and whatnot. And now he has a a daughter who's going through 
that same kind of what should I do and all these questions, right? And so if we did that, if we shifted that, I can't, it would just be so beautiful, right? Like, okay, you're curious about this thing. Let's go explore this yeah. thing for yeah. a bit and see if that would work. And, and yeah. And then, and that's not to say, of course, that we're not going to have our growth, our interpersonal conflicts yeah. or but like, what if we could take out these larger issues and focus on something new and interesting and different? Yeah. Like I remember as a kid, I was always drawing. I was very, yeah. I was always reading and always drawing. So like I, I'm a full on bookaholic, yep. but I remember my parents when I was in high school and taking all those art classes, my father turned to me and said, oh, this is just a fad. And my mother was horrified when she's like, I don't understand why you don't like science and math because this is not going to lead anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was so many sort of, um, there was no encouragement. And within a few years, I really was like, okay, I guess this is not what I'm going to do. And for 16 years, I didn't draw again. Oh my gosh. So it was actually after grad school in Pacifica that... I came back to my art and, and actually through the thesis, they allowed us to do a creative piece together with the thesis. And uh-huh. so that's when I started drawing mandalas again. And oh, from nice. there, you know, kind of came back and exploded. And I had to find that way all over again by myself. I had to sort of go through all the phase of like, no, it's okay. I do deserve the good art materials, you know, and stuff like that. I I invested in my good markers and all that. It sounds trivial, but it was really kind of a big process for me to even accept that. Uh, and, And so that's why it jerks my chain so much when I see it. It's like, no, 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 no. The same way that I think astrologically to me, it feels like that when people are like, well, you know, I'm a Virgo and, and the people tend to sort of have this own discrimination with their own sun sign. Most of yeah. the time they yeah. get down on themselves and I'm like, stop with the astral discrimination. We have enough discrimination outside. Don't bring it into here. Right. And because I also grew up with that, you know, I'm a, I'm a Gemini. And so my mother would be like, oh, no, Capri- she's a Capricorn. She'd be like, oh, Capricorns are the best. You know, Geminis, you all just about talk, talk, talk. You know, so there's always this putting down. And I'm like, wait a second, let's reclaim at least your sun sign. You know, I mean, of course, there's yeah. more to the chart, but it always gets me like, no, no, no. Look at your sun sign from a positive perspective. Not that it doesn't have its own shadow. Right. Which is true. But Let's look at that from a more sort of like, no, no, if you have the sun in a certain sign, it means that is a clue to your purpose, mission, whatever you want to call it. There's Mm -hmm. something right here for you. So embrace it. Go at all the levels of being a Gemini or a Virgo or Scorpio, whatever it is, just really go into it. This is your main meal. Go for it. Don't don't try to tell it Aries to calm down, you know, like... Find ways to re-engage their energy. I've definitely experienced the astro discrimination, and I had a friend who was pretty hot-headed and uh, learned that she was an Aries rising and that, or Aries sun. And uh, there's some foreshadowing there. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and and oh, that's it. That's why she's so hot-headed, and I can't. You know, we have all these disagreements and whatnot. And then when I finally had my natal chart done, you know, and, and, and calling and what time was I born and submitting the information and then find out that I am an Aries rising. (laughs) (laughs) So there's, that's why there's the friendship, right? But, um, so I think it's, uh, uh, I guess at the end of the day, this is the other thing I've been thinking about lately. Mm -hmm. 
we have all these summits and workshops and teachers, you name it, about we got to be epic. We got to be extraordinary. You want an oh, extraordinary. Sure. And I'm like, enough. Stop. How about we, we are enough as we are? And can we use the best of the resources we have at hand right now without having to always feel like we're broken? It's mm. the leftover of Christianity, people. You think this is new age. You just, just repackaged Christianity shame into a nice little box with the beautiful bows and you're repackaging the shit again. It's this constant like, no, we're not good enough. Mm-hmm. We're not good enough all the mm-hmm. time. But uh, All right. So I'm really curious. You do uh, workshops at New Renaissance Bookshop here in, in Portland. And one of the workshops that you do is called Your Son as Your CEO. Can you kind of give a high level, like, look at how you work with people and helping them to use astrology to manage their business? Yeah, so I like that. <laughs> that, came, that came years ago, the son is UCO. Um, you know, the idea in my head. But um, uh-huh. the reason is most people know their sun sign. They have a, you know, to know the full chart, it's not for everybody. So I think it's a good entry mm-hmm. point to start. Mm-hmm. But in essence, the sun is, well, the essence of the chart. Everything is, all the other planets are engaging in some way with the sun helping it or challenging it to grow and the sun within us and archetypally represents our heroic journey what it's it's what we are and what we're becoming more fully that's why Mm -hmm. i say you're a gemini you're a virgo you're an aries really go for it this is your phd Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that workshop is to help people look at their sun sign from the perspective of business Mm-hmm. You know, like I love to work with people who are spirit led, purpose driven, heart centered entrepreneurs who are really looking to create a business that is a creative expression of them. Because it mm. goes back to my idea that, like, you're here to do something. I mean, in astrology, we have something that says, you were born as when you were born, you were the answer to a question of the time. Mm. So I think that your configuration, your whole chart, or just at least your sun sign, has a clue to what you're here to do. Mm-hmm. It's a natural gift. So the sun is your CEO. is a It's a workshop just to help people look at their sun sign and be like, okay, I have a business, or I'm about to start a business. And how does my sun mm-hmm. shine in that business? How is it reflected in the business? Because that's one way to be aligned. Um, you know, so let's say... Um, you're a Sagittarius. Right, right now, the sun is in Sagittarius. So, you know, how does that show up in your business? So the sun informs the the essence of your business, the core of your business, it will help you define your branding, will help you look to your messaging. Mm-hmm. It will sort of, it should be infused in the products and services that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think whenever, like I tell them at the workshop, whenever in doubt, look back to your sun. You know, mm. how is it showing up? So you're about to release a new offer. Um, mm. How is your sun, whatever the sun sign is, ha- does it ha- is it shining in any way? So the example I have is my own. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Gemini. I have lots of planets in Gemini. 
but my son is in Gemini. So I, I like teaching. I like to give bursts of information. I like talking. Any, everything about my language is about dialogue. You know, I believe we are dialoguing with the planetary archetypes that we should have curiosity about the chart and not think that the birth chart is sort of like set in stone. You, know, mm. you should get to know this territory. So all my languaging, it comes back to this Gemini sense. I treat astrology as a language, um, you know, so that's just one an example. And part of me is all about teaching. And, and Gemini is also related because it's ruled by Mercury related mm -hmm. to commerce. So I'm very interested in this idea of sacred commerce. How can we heal capitalism from its virus that has attacked the system and taken over like a mutant? How can we now, small business owners, solopreneurs, however big or small we are, how can we help heal the process? Because I don't think the problem is necessarily in commerce. Mm -hmm. It's how it's been done. You know, mm -hmm. Something got twisted in the process throughout the ages. So I do also think that as small business owners, we have a responsibility to heal uh, how business has been done. It's been co-opted by some crazy virus in my mind. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Uh, I want to talk more about that in a moment, but first we need to take a break. Okay. Welcome back. We were just touching on healing our world you, by being aligned really with, with, our, with, our, with our charts. And you just mentioned the term sacred commerce. And that, co that term has come up in a previous interview with uh, Laura Rowe. <laughs> and, uh, and I was just curious. So one of my favorite books that I read in the last couple of years is called The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist. Mm. Are you familiar with it? Okay. I'm familiar with the book. Yeah, I haven't read it, but yeah, I'm familiar. Okay. Well, she so she and other other coaches and things that I followed along like to this is my summation of kind of all of these. I like to think after reading all these things, think of money as currency. Okay. And so, and then thinking of like, well, what is a, a current current could be like a river flowing, or it could be literally like an electrical current, right? Mm -hmm. So it's literally energy. And so on one hand, when you're talking about money, you're talking about an exchange of energy. And another coach that I followed like to point out that when you look at at least us money in our monetary system, uh, that paper is, is just paper. There, the, you know, there's the only value is, it says a dollar on it, but like there, the, the, we don't have the gold standard anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so like the, the, a lot of it is kind of made up and it's a human construct. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so when we, we put these sort of um, connotations, like, you know, money is the root of evil or whatever, it's like, really, I think we need to take a step back and it's the energy we're putting into the thing yeah. that makes it that thing. And okay. So just intellectually kind of holding space for that. If we were going to bring and embrace this idea of sacred commerce, so we're, we're, we're exchanging our energy in alignment with our beliefs, in alignment with our core selves, and then providing services or goods or whatnot, what could commerce look like? That I think that's really interesting. I mean, that's something funny you mentioned, Laura, because I, I was the one who got her into the thinking about sacred commerce because she and I done a series of workshops together around that. 
So we have these in-depth conversations about it. Um, I think that I, I cannot pronounce his name, but the guy who wrote the book Sacred Commerce, it's a, it's a small book. Um, he talks about the, um, what were they called? Merchants. The our sponsors, and then we'll continue in a moment. Welcome back, and we have a treat. Marie is going to pull from two of her decks. She created a tarot deck a few years ago based on the Rider Waite deck that I pulled from, and then we're gonna get into her Divine Oracle Muses deck. And I'm sorry if I'm saying that incorrectly, so please. That's okay, Divine Muses Oracle. Thank you, thank you. All right, so what have you got for us? So let's pull a card. I'm just gonna draw randomly from the deck without shuffling. Mm Ooh, the Wheel of Fortune. Oh, beautiful. Okay, so again, we're on video, so I get to yeah. see this. And it is, oh, it's so beautiful. I love the font. The detail is just gorgeous. We have, um, it looks like a woman in the upper left-hand corner and some sort of bird, and there's a Wheel of Fortune. And then, um, well, I'm saying it's a Wheel of Fortune, but it looks like a Ferris wheel is what it's I meant. It's a Ferris wheel. Yeah, and then I can't see what that shape is in the that box. So then there's a lion at the bottom right and a bull on the bottom left. Oh wow. So it's the uh, basically it's the four archangels or the four elements represented by the astrology. So the woman is um, generally sometimes it's an, it's an angel and um, and it's represented by Aquarius and the eagle is Scorpio that's like the ancient animal ruler um because now it's like a uh now it's a um a scorpio a scorpion excuse me and then the lion is leo and then the earth for the bull oh nice Uh, and then the ferris wheel i chose the ferris uh this antique image of a ferris wheel and um and then there's the image of the the symbol from the wheel of fortune from the Waitsmith smith is in the center which talks you know has the T T A R O mm-hmm. and it can and then it has the um the um oh my gosh the Hebrew al- um, alphabet in like four of the letters that represent the four card four cards in the um tarot. The wheel of fortune is all about things kind of cycling through. And sometimes fortune's on your side, luck's on your side. And so that's when the wheel is going up, the energy is like of luck is coming in and the wheel can also go down. So the, the luck can shift too. But generally it's a lucky card, depending on the question again, you know, or if it's reversed. And um, Jupiter rules the wheel of fortune. So there's that luck, there's expansion, there's that energy of like um, things coming in. So I see this as an expansive card beautiful. I love it. Yeah. And there's so much more we can go into that, but I don't want to. You then created the next deck. Yeah. The divine muses Oracle just came out this year. And, um, I, I don't know what you want me to say. Do you want me to just pull a card? Can you talk a little bit about what inspired you to create this deck and then pull a card? Sure. Um, well, so when I was creating the antiquarian tarot, um, there were a lot of images because I used antique 
cabinet card imagery and photos. And a lot of times I'm finding uh, um, cabinet card images at antique stores, flea markets, and sometimes I'm like uh, online looking for public domain images. And so a lot of times I'd find images that I couldn't use in the tarot because with the tarot, there's like a, okay, I, I wanted to stick to um, the Albano Way or the Waite Smith imagery. And um, so then I'd find these beautiful images and I'm like, oh, that would be a great card for this. And, you know, so I've, cr I've created a, a Lennerman and like a, a, the, tar the tarot. And so then I was like, I want to do an Oracle too. And so it was just, I love the idea of not having a structure because Lennerman has 36 cards. It's a uh, very specific, you know, you, you know, if you're going to go with the method, you got to have those cards. Same with the um, tarot. So, yeah. So uh, I did some traveling in Europe um, and sometimes I'd find this gorgeous images, um, photo photographs, and I just wanted to um, do something a little different. So what were some of the muses that you chose? So the, basically the muses are based on the Greek muses, the nine Greek muses. And so the, they're, um, they're performing arts, essentially, if you're Greek, during ancient Greece, they, um, they honored the muses for their creative crafts. And, but they were, what's interesting is they were all performing arts. So we have the muse of dance, the muse of um, divine hymns, which is like um, divine music. There's the muse of music. There's the um, muse of, oh my gosh, I don't know, oh, history. But a lot of this stuff was um, done on a stage in front of people. And so there was no muse of art. So I added a 10th muse, the muse of art. And it's interesting because there were artists, there were vase painters and wall paint, there were statue, like um, uh, sculptures and stuff. So I didn't really understand. I did some research and I didn't really get a clear answer, but what I, what I kind of gathered was it was, it was kind of a plebeian or like a lay person's work. Like the painters were uh, painting vases for home decor. So they weren't considered, it wasn't considered high art. Right. You know, and you wouldn't do it in front of an audience. It was just like, here's a painter in the corner of, the city and he's making like a ton of vases that people are buying to put in their homes but now we look at that as like oh my gosh this is like you know super valuable museum you know pieces so yeah so I added the muse of art to represent all the visual arts I love that evolution so what do you have for us okay let's see Ooh, I have the magical child well that seems appropriate yeah so the match so um you know, things like that. And they just, they call and the, they being the other shelters call and say, Hey, we're getting pretty full. Do you have any room, you know, for, you know, this dog or that dog? And, and we have to look and see, okay, we have so many dogs here, you know, how many are looking good for adoption? How many, you know, how much room do we have? What kind of dog will we bring in that are, you know, cause I mean, not to get superficial about it, but there's more dogs that are highly, highly adaptable and some that aren't. So you still have to be careful. You have to be careful of what comes in because if you bring, you know, you bring a big giant German shepherd into a kennel that already has a bunch of German shepherds, you know, he's going to get overlooked and possibly struggle and stay there. So, you know, we want to make sure that we do what's best for the dogs as well. There's a lot of factors to look into. There's a lot. Yeah. 
So you found this place because you wanted a dog. You love the dogs. You love the people. And you started going back and something, something clicked where, where you I love this place. And you started to volunteer. Yeah. So why, what about dogs being dogs and in that kind of environment where it sounds like the whole vibe allows for that? Like what, what is so great about that? The reason dog dogs are great just because you know where you stand with them right away. They, mm-hmm. You know, you, you give, you give them your body posture. They give, they give you theirs and they will let you know where, where you are with them and you can be in that environment with them. They have, you know, they greet you, they run away from you, they bark at you, they lay down and give you a belly, you know, you know, right away. And then there's the ones that run away. There's the ones that growl. There's Mm -hmm. the ones that, you know, have their tail between their legs. Those are the ones that you want, at least for me, that you want to dive deeper and, you know, say, hey, it's okay. I'm okay. You know, you just got to give me a chance. And you take those baby steps to help them open up to give you a chance. And thus, they'll give more people chances. And that's, awesome. and that's, and that's where I really... I really try to work hard on those, those types of dogs myself, you know, and then you just, you learn about their little personalities and things that they like and things that they don't like. And, you know, there's, there's a lot for them to do out there, you know, but it's important to get, actually get people out there to do it with them. Uh, so they need volunteers. Always volunteers. And plus the staff works. And I know this because I was one for a while. The staff works so hard. And they can only do so much. And if volunteers don't go out there, some days dogs don't get seen by a person. And what mm. and and they spend their days in a twelve, you know, twelve foot by four foot run on the inside and a twelve foot by four foot run on the outside. So they have twenty four feet of of that's all they look at for most of the day. And if they don't get out of that run, I mean that's not good that's not a good environment, you know, for that. So that's why I stress like volunteer, go spend some time with some dogs. It'll be good for them. It'll be good for you. You know, it's everybody thinks that a shelter is a great place and it is, but it's also very stressful because of what has to be done and what, you know, sometimes doesn't happen. They always get fed. They always get their meds, but they don't always get seen. So that's, that's where I stress the put your time in there sort of thing. So when you volunteer and you go see a dog, whether it is the dog that you've identified that could need some more relationship building or just a normal, fun-loving, maybe a dog that's already in a pretty good spot. What do you, so doesn't matter what dog you pick. What, what happens when, when you go there? Well, So you're volunteer Jeff and you're showing up. Yeah, I walk in there and some days, well, most days, actually, I walk in the door and... Or actually when I drive up now, because you, they know what you drive and know what you, you know, everything else. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a few particular dogs that completely lose their mind because they see you and they're jumping up and down on the outside fence because they know that you're coming. Mm-hmm. You know, you walk inside and they're already waiting for you, like as close as they can be to the outside of the door there, you know, to get out of their run because they know that you're going to do something with them. So 
mm-hmm. that's that's the foundations that you build as a volunteer there with those dogs. On the flip side of that, you get your heart broken quite a bit. And mm. some in some days good and some and sometimes like today is not gonna be so good. But when they get when you work with a dog and they get adopted, that's usually the last time you see them. And mm-hmm. and that can be pretty heartbreaking, but at the same time it's worth it to to put that time in to to get them out of there. But as volunteer Jeff walks in there, dogs dogs go crazy. As volunteer Michelle would go in there, dogs would go crazy because ooh, new person. You know, yeah. you know, it's, it's so, they're so welcoming, you know, they, they, they know that there's something new and exciting there and they let you know that for sure. Mm-hmm. So do you, uh, do the, does the staff say, Hey, this dog here hasn't visited with anybody in a bit. Can you spend some time with them? Or do you kind of have your favorite animals that you like to spend time with? Well, they have a, what they have is they have a big board up there with all the mm-hmm. dogs names on that. I mean, it's separated into days. And it'll, it'll tell you if there's been a time, there's been time spent with a dog or not. And if there hasn't mm. been time spent, there'd be like a red dot next to the dog's name. So, you know, who needs to be seen first, you know, or staff will say, Hey, can you see so-and-so today? Because I'm not going to have time to because of this. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you know, you oblige and say, yeah, of course, you know, um, so, and of course you get your favorites or your lifers, you know, as I like to mm-hmm. say, your long timers, there's a husky I work with. She's been there ever since I've been there. So it's been, it's been a while. And, you know, for, you know, for those of you that might know me on Facebook, I put, I put a picture of her up every week or a video or something. So you might know her mm-hmm. as well. So everybody has a regular or a group of regulars, you know, as you do. And sometimes I don't even see dogs when I'm out there because I have other things I got to do. Like, you know, I've helped with their, they have an angel's rest up there, which is where our passed away dogs go. And I help keep mm. that clean. And, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. something's broken. I help fix it or I help the maintenance guys out or, you know, I'll still make my way in to see a dog or two. But I mean, sometimes my tasks aren't always with the dogs. So. Sure. Sure. Cause you're a volunteer and right. volunteers wear many hats. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, you, I, we're only going to have a time to touch on this a little bit, but I, uh, I wanted to talk about this because it builds on how you have found your passions over the years. So you're also going to be helping at a pig sanctuary. Eventually, when yes, when she opens up to more volunteers, I will be spending some time out there as well. It's called the Minion Sanctuary. What is a pig sanctuary? It's the same thing as in any sanctuary. She, um, just for pigs. Just for pigs. You know, well, she has chicken, so, she has chickens too. But um, okay. her name her name is Allie, and she is she is a fellow a fellow vegan. I am a vegan, by the way. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of, we met through those channels, and she rescued three pigs, and she's since I rescued four more. She has three chickens, and so she does. 99% of all the work out there and she's starting to integrate volunteers because it's becoming a lot of work and she needs help. And mm-hmm. we all know this. So I told her when you're ready to open up for volunteers, I'm happy to, you know, pick up poop. I'm happy to move hay around. I'm happy to feed. I'm happy to do whatever you want. Those pigs are really sweet. You know, she, Oh, nice. We, we go out there. She has little, little days where we can go out there and you put in a small donation, you hang out with the pigs, get to feed them. It's such a nice, 
relaxed environment. It's completely different from a dog sanctuary. You know, it's out. Right. We're more energy, I would imagine. Yeah. You know, well, the dogs are like super high energy and the pigs are just kind of chill, you know, but they'll mm-hmm. get excited when it's dinner time. And of course. Yeah. yeah. So tons of fun. Nice. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that you're vegan because another thing that you have uh, gotten more interested in is fitness. Yes. Yes. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, from the last time you've seen me, I'm probably 75 pounds lighter and, yeah. a, and a lot more fit. Um, mm-hmm. I could barely walk a mile. Now I can run 10. Wow. And the diet, the diet I have to attribute to my wife and as a whole, I mean, I could probably do two or three more podcasts about the things that my wife has shown me that's helped me change my life.